Welcome again to Tomball Bible Church this morning. My name is Carl Carr. I'm one of the teachers here at uh, Tomball Bible Church. And it is our uh, custom here for our senior pastor, Skeet, who you met earlier, to bring about two-thirds of the sermons on Sunday morning. And the other one-third are brought by other uh, various uh, ministry leaders. Uh, we feel that this affords uh, two things for us. One is you get to hear from the hearts of other ministry uh, leaders on our team as well. But in addition, it also allows Skeet uh, to invest in other areas uh, of the church and stay refreshed uh, as well. <clears throat> uh, by trade, I'm a pediatrician, and uh, from time to time, one of my precious uh, little patients will infect me with some awful thing, and uh, they managed that this week. <clears throat> And so if I fear to be coughing up a lung while I teach this morning, don't become alarmed. Uh, we'll get through it. <clears throat> so at any rate, so we're going to return uh, this morning to our sermon series uh, called True Story, a study in First John. Now, over the last month or so, uh, we've seen in, in this really amazing passage how John, as, as really an elder statesman now in the church at the time of his writing, he's calling the early church back to these three basics of true doctrine, obedient living, and this fervent devotion to both Jesus and uh, to the brothers and, and sisters in Christ as well. Now, it's important to note that, that John is motivated to write this letter of 1 John because in the latter part of the first century church, there were some weird things, some weird stuff that was beginning to insert itself into the body of Christ. And John knew that this weird stuff had the potential to undermine the message of the gospel. And John refers to this weird stuff by its source, or what John calls uh, the spirit of the Antichrist. And sadly, John realized that although these ideals were from the world, they were actually being adopted by those who were in the church, who were considered to be believers. <clears throat> and so, just like today... Some of these weird ideas were actually being presented as some form of deeper, more spiritual, or higher level of Christianity that everyone else, by the way, should be aspiring to reach as well. When all it really was, and all they were really spreading, was worldly and divisive and selfish. And so, in this morning's teaching, we're going to continue with John's theme and examine more specifically in 1 John chapter 3... We're going to go through verses 19, uh, start at verses 19 and go all the way through the sixth verse of chapter 4. So 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to study this very timely topic uh, of what John has to say about what is true spirituality. What is the true spiritual life? And so let's open this morning uh, just for a moment with a word of prayer. <clears throat> if you'll just bow with me. Lord, uh, as always, we're, we're open... We're excited to open your word and, and hear uh, from what you would say. I just pray, Lord, that you would calm our hearts and our focus, our minds, so that we can truly hear from you. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that nothing that I would do or say would become between your message and your people. And so I ask, Lord, that you would uh, bless this time together and we covet your presence. For it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen. So, true spirituality, is, that's the topic of study this morning. But, <clears throat> before we begin, begin in First John reading, I'd like to begin this morning by asking you uh, 
this question. Uh, This morning, as you sit there in your seat, consider for just a moment, what is the source or sources uh, of your confidence in life? Uh, Let me explain. Confidence is is defined as a trust or reliance or or even like a trusting relationship. So let me rephrase the question. Let me ask you, what is it in life that you place your reliance or trust in? Or in life, what have you formed a trusting relationship with? So the nitty-gritty, rude question that I'm getting at is, what makes you sleep well at night? I have some informal polling data, data with answers to these questions when I ask some of your fellow church members this same question. So... Some said that they had confidence in their career and its earnings. Uh, Some had confidence in various uh, relationships, such as peers or supervisors. And and some said they slept well at night because they'd worked hard all their life and they're saving well. And some had confidence in their training or education or their skills and abilities. And there were other answers as well, but, but most of the answers to these questions, if you really boil them down... Uh, the answer to the question about what helps people sleep well at night, it's centered around either financial peace or career identity or a mixture of the two. Well, no. Uh, None of that is is earth-shaking news to any of us, right? But what I I want you to think about just just for a moment is this. Psychologists and psychiatrists will often tell you that most of us guide our everyday behavior around where we place our confidence. I'll say that again. Psychologists will often tell you that most of us guide our everyday behavior around where we place our confidence. You see, we will work to secure our confidence and we will fight to protect our confidences when we feel that they're threatened. So, if really broken down to the bare bones, what I'm saying is this one thing. Where we place our confidence defines who we are. What we believe then defines what we do. And therefore, where we place our confidence ultimately becomes our master. Now, even further, where we place our confidence will be reflected in our relationships with other people, and they'll even guide the important decisions that you make in life. And after a while, these value assessments that you make and the things that you do in life based upon these confidences they kind of become ingrained as habitual behavior patterns to the point that they literally become a part of the fabric of who you are, almost like a fixed reflex. Now, on Tuesdays and and, uh, Thursday nights, I teach this uh, anatomy and physiology class uh, to the nursing and radiology programs there. And... One of the points that I continually drive home to my students is that form follows function, in that anatomy is often determined by physiology. And this is one of the absolute patterns that we see in this class, so that all the way down, even if you go down to the cellular level, we see that what a cell does or needs to do determines not only how that cell is structured and how it's built, but even how it reproduces. And when this relationship between anatomy and physiology falls apart, the physiologic and anatomical result is cancer. Now, if you jump up to an even larger human social scale, 
when these functional and structural relationships go awry, we call that mental illness. So let me drive this point home to you once more this morning. Where we place our confidence defines what we do out of that confidence and then often defines who we become. This is why, if you know someone really well, if you sit in meetings with people for a lot, if you're around a person a lot and you become to know them well, it becomes easy to predict how they will react to certain things in life. Why? Because it's part of the fabric of whom they are. Okay? This is why... It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to make us this new creation, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5. So, now, you may ask, well, that's all well and good, but what does that have to do with true spirituality in the book of 1 John? Well, in our passage this morning, John has two major sections that we're going to look at. And in that first section, John describes what true spirituality is. And in this second section that we'll look at, He describes both what true spirituality is not and how to watch for phony spirituality. But in both parts of this scripture, John emphasizes this same point, really, that what we are is determined by what we really believe. And this concept really drives what John defines as true spirituality. So, let's start this morning and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And uh, let's read our first section of verses, beginning in uh, verse 19. We're going to go all the way through uh, verse uh, 24. Now, this morning, our focal passage is going to center around 1 John, but we're going to be referencing the Gospel of John as well. So don't let that get you turned around like it has me a few times this week. But <clears throat> beginning in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, we'll go through verse 24. It says... By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John begins this passage with this statement. He says, By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before them. So what is this this that he's referring to? Well, we find that this... Uh, that he's referring to in verse verse 18, the verse immediately preceding verse 19. So look at verse 18. It says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but instead in deed and in truth. So John says, It's not what you say that matters, but what you do. And what you do is determined by what you know. Or what you do shows where you really place your confidence. Now, back to verse 19. Again, he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So John pushes this idea further in verse 19 when he says that by what we do, we will know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Can he really mean that? Is he saying by what we do, we can reassure ourselves? Turn with me now to James chapter 2. 
little bit long section I want to read to you, but James chapter 2, verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Well, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way also, Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now... We've completed that section that makes us squirm a little bit. <clears throat> but hear me very clear on this point, and, and it's so essential to this passage in James and in 1 John where we'll be today. This passage does not say that salvation comes by works. The very important, a very, very important point that these parallel passages make is this. When we become believers by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become a new creation. We're not made immediately perfect because our sin nature also still resides within us. But the power of the Holy Spirit in us, it works persistently and deliberately and effectively to change who we are. And it begins by changing where we place our confidence. As such, the point that James and John make is that our new faith will inevitably change what we do. Therefore, faith without works is like life without breath or a heartbeat. It just doesn't happen. So back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 19. In verse 19 that we've read several times, notice that John says that we can reassure ourselves that we are His by observing these changes in your life since the Holy Spirit indwelled you and you became a new believer. Now, why would we need to reassure our hearts in the first place? <clears throat> Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Verse 20 tells us that we need to reassure ourselves from time to time because some days we wake up, and because we're tired or frustrated or a bit weary, we don't feel so spiritual, right? And we need some reassurance. We have to remind ourselves that our confidence, it's not in us, but is instead in Jesus and in the Spirit of God that dwells within us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can know that God is working in and through us by the things that we do that we would never have done were it not for the Holy Spirit working within us. <clears throat> now to verse 21. John next says, Beloved, if, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So, 
our confidence is in and before God if we stay rooted in what we believe. And on this, we even have to test what our own heart is telling us. Because from time to time, our hearts are not in sync with God. And if we trust Him over everything, then we have to test our heart. We have to test even our own little personal dialogue that we may have with ourselves sometimes. Now stay with me here and look again at verses 21 through 23. It says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. In these verses, John describes the life of a believer in sync with God, true spirituality. It's not as a feeling, but it's described in words of action. Why? Because feelings are always elusive. So how can we be spiritual? It's by having your ultimate confidence in Jesus Christ and by loving one another. And the two are inseparable. These two commands that Jesus says encapsulates all of his commandments for the believer, they are the absolute foundation for a spiritual life. So look one more time at verse 24, the last verse in chapter 3. It says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John wraps up this first section of Scripture, when he reiterates that what that whoever keeps God's commandments by placing their confidence in Jesus and by loving others can only pull this off by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us that he gave us. So if we can do these things, if we can have our ultimate confidence in Christ and truly love others, we can know that he abides in us and that we are spiritual. True spirituality is not complex. John says it's what you do based upon what you know. And this is revealed by the Spirit in you. You know, when, whenever someone starts to discuss spirituality or the spiritual aspect uh, of Christianity, what immediately comes to mind for many people is a meditation room filled with incense or, or long robes or someone who goes off on a journey to find themselves or herself, or maybe some emotional experience, or maybe some high of some sort, or even the expression of some sign gift or miracle or a vision. And many times, I believe that efforts at spirituality in Christian circles often devolves into something that completely turns inward. When what Scripture describes as true spirituality is just the opposite. True spirituality is a life looking up at Christ and expressing his love outwardly to those around you. True true spirituality is not found, therefore, by going deeper in you, but rather is found by placing your ultimate confidence in Jesus so that you reflect the Father. Turn with me just for a moment to the Gospel of John. So back in the Gospels, turn to John chapter 15 and verses 12 through 17. This is a passage we actually did a whole sermon series on about abiding in Christ. But jump down to verse 12 in John chapter 15. It says, This is my commandment 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that that fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So here, Jesus actually describes the spiritual life as one of friendship with the Father manifested by loving others in the same way that he loves you. Never, never, never in Scripture will you find a description of the spiritual life as a self-centered journey. Now, even though you'll find that very description in many books with Christian titles... What you always find in Scripture is that a spiritual life is a life spent in service to others, reflecting the love of the Father. The reminder is that this kind of life is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can see how it's impossible without the Holy Spirit because, in fact, many have tried to have a spiritual life outside of the Holy Spirit in service for others, and they do this for reasons of their own, And you can always tell who they are because the efforts always turn inward in an attempt to garner recognition or attention or their own glory. And it inevitably does not reflect love for others and usually requires or ends in a press conference as well. So turn with me back to our central passage in 1 John this morning. And there in 1 John chapter 3, we finish what John describes as the spiritual life. And so now let's look at the first six verses of 1 John chapter 4, where John explains in contrast what spiritual life is not. Now, before we read this section, let me remind you that John writes this letter to some degree as a response to this weird stuff that was creeping into the church. And one of these weird things was a teaching that essentially all flesh and all material matter is evil and that all things physical were sin, and by contrast, all things spiritual were good. And if you follow that line of reasoning, then Jesus could not have come in the flesh because the flesh was evil. And so to follow that line of thinking that they push this through, that it doesn't matter what you do in the physical life because it's only your spiritual side that matters. Therefore... Sin committed in the physical life could not defile their spiritual being, and the two were completely separate. Therefore, they could still be followers of Christ and live a life of complete debauchery because the physical was divorced from the spiritual. Now, it sounds weird, but look at what John has to say beginning in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. 
little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, just as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, John says here that we need to test what we hear and hold fast to what is good only. How do we test what we hear? Well, we hold it up to sound doctrine. Now, I'm not here to say that everyone in the church has to be a master theologian. But as a believer, we must be firmly grounded in the Word. And as many of you know, most of the real damaging heresy that has entered the church has come from inside the church. And it was dressed in really spiritual, feel-good words that just made us feel so awesome about ourselves. And every day could be a Friday. I don't know where that came from. Anyway. John says here in this passage that if they deny Jesus in the flesh, they are false prophets, and they're propagating the spirit and message of Antichrist that's already present in this world. You you see, Satan knows that the spiritual life all hinges upon your ultimate confidence in Christ. And if he can just change that or prevent that or cast doubt upon that, then he can wreak havoc in the church. Satan, see, Satan doesn't have to convince us that the entire Bible is false. He just has to get us to place our confidence somewhere else. And when we do this, he knows that pretty soon we are all about something else. And he doesn't even care what that something else is, as long as it's not Jesus. And the widely marketed health and wealth doctrine that's really got going in the 90s, it's a prime example where even today, Scores of people gather every Sunday in churches across the country to pay homage to their own selfish greed, whereby their confidence, it's no longer in Jesus, but it's in the things that they can acquire in this life. And Jesus is reduced to a good luck charm at getting what you want. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 and go all the way down to verse 17. Philippians 3, verse 17. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So John and Paul here help us to test and discern what is spiritual and what is not. Let me just give you this, this simple rule of thumb. Whenever you encounter any new doctrine that sounds good and sounds spiritual at the surface, 
Test number one is this. What is their belief in the person and deity of Jesus Christ? Almost every heresy that was birthed by the spirit of Antichrist will fail this question. Any doctrine that denies these truths, that Jesus was God from the beginning, that Jesus came as God incarnate, and that Jesus now sits and reigns at the right hand of God, if it denies any or all of these truths, it is heresy birthed in hell. And any doctrine that claims that there is any way to the Father other than Jesus is heresy, and it's birthed from Satan. Or any doctrine that claims you need the gospel plus something else, heresy. So anything that diminishes Christ and Christ's role in the life of a believer in any way is the embodiment of the spirit of Antichrist. So, if really clean, conservative-looking guys with name tags come to your door, and if guys in suits carrying really big Bibles comes to your door, And even if they think positive and call themselves Christians, but they say Jesus was a man that is becoming God or became God, stop. If they say Jesus was an angel, whoa. And if they say you can be a God just like Jesus too, stop. And you can read to them from this little passage in the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the first three verses, John starts off, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? Look one last time at 1 John chapter 4, in the middle of the passage that we're in. Look at verse 4 of 1 John chapter 4. It says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So what is not spiritual, John says, is anything any doctrine, any practice, or any form of rituals or legalism or self-aggrandizing that shifts your ultimate confidence from Jesus to anything else. Get this now. At the core of Satan's strategy is anything that will accomplish that very thing of shifting your confidence away from Jesus by diminishing the deity of Christ. So... I began our teaching this morning by stating that where we place our ultimate confidence in many ways defines who we are. And as we examine this passage from 1 John, we saw that John tells us that true spirituality or the spiritual life is a life that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us places its ultimate confidence in Christ alone. And by doing so, we are freed to really love others. In fact, John says that we can, we can reassure ourselves by our, love, by our love for others. And all that is is an outward expression of Christ in us. It's outward evidence of Christ in us. And, and as a result, Satan's strategy is to have the church, its people, place its confidence in anything else but Jesus. 
And if our confidence is in Jesus, Satan knows that he cannot prevail because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. So allow me just to make a few, a few closing points as we wrap up this morning's teaching. The true spiritual life is a life based upon the truth of God's word that is evidenced by what we do. John says spirituality is to know and do. Number two, in contrast, the spiritual life is not a life directed solely by feelings and experiences and visions. John says that the truth trumps even our own heart sometimes. Number three, to have a spiritual life empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must keep our ultimate confidence in Christ alone and not the things of this world. And number four, Satan's strategy to short-circuit your spiritual life is to convince you to put your confidence and trust in anything other than Jesus. So, with these points in mind, let me just suggest a simple application for all of this, this, for all of us this week. One application, and I think it applies whether you consider yourself a believer or if you question that. The striking thing that John suggests in this passage is that by examining what we do, we can learn things about our own spiritual life. In other words, are are the patterns of behavior in our life rooted in a confidence in Christ or in something else? So maybe in the quiet moments this week when you go before God, We should take some time to examine the decisions we've made, the things that we have said, and the things that we are doing to see if they actually reveal where we're placing our ultimate confidence. And I know that for many of us, me first, if we're really honest before God, this can be a very convicting and painful thing to do. But if we do this regularly, I believe that we will be driven to repentance by the Holy Spirit. But until we place our ultimate confidence in Christ, until we trust Him alone with our very lives, we will never be truly free to love others. Because you just can't reach out to others as an ambassador for Christ when you're holding on to the things of this world with both hands. So I invite you to, to pray about that and consider that this week. And let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, uh, as we come before you this morning, uh, through your word, you've given us a real practical way to look at our spiritual lives, to look at what we do. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that in our own hearts that you would expose anything, Lord, that diminishes Christ and puts our confidence in the world. By your Spirit, Lord, would you empower us to place our confidence in you and to face, Lord, what it is in our life, Lord, that needs rooted out. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would work this miracle in our lives through your Holy Spirit's work 
so that we can love others as a reflection of you, so that we can, we can truly be your ambassadors here on this earth. For it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen.